In therapy, radically genuine is reached when one is being truly authentic, communicating freely and openly as equals. The Radically Genuine podcast strives to do just that. We will question areas of mental health, culture, societal norms, and what is truly needed to improve the lives of others. Dr. Roger McFillin is a clinical psychologist and board certified in behavioral and cognitive psychology. He is the executive director of the Center for Integrated Behavioral Health in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Well, again, I like to use a metaphor for this too. It's like, it's break the word emotion up into two words, emotion, energy in motion. And, and that works for acupuncture, works for EFT. It's like you explain to people, the emotions are supposed to move through your body and keep going. And if they get stuck anywhere, if the energy gets stuck someplace, that's where you, you get a symptom. And, and, and that's, um, people can get their mind around that. Uh, and, and I always bring up Rumi's uh, famous poem, The Guest House. Uh, which is taught in a lot of the mindfulness-based uh, stress reduction programs. It's, it's this being human as a guest house. It's like invite all the visitors in. If it's a, a terrible sorrow or a, a screaming anger or a wonderful joy, um, they may be messengers from beyond bringing you some important gift. Uh, but the key point is in the title. It's a guest house. Welcome to the Radically Genuine Podcast. I'm Dr. Roger McFillin. Sean, I remember what it was like to be asleep, <laughs> unaware, unconscious, and blind to what I could not see. I'll be honest with you. I love sleeping, <laughs> and it gives me the most peace. So when I wake up and I'm no longer sleeping, I kind of want to be sleeping again. Yeah, and I think you're, when I do refer to people still not yet awakened, I am referring to you. So I know, I, I know. It, if, if it was not experienced for me personally... And I didn't observe it within my three-dimensional limitations of my experience. It did not exist, right? That was my being asleep. Uh, I'd be the first to dismiss energy healing or other metaphysical concepts as quackery. And when I started my career, I was full focused on you know, what had been sold as evidence-based therapies or evidence-based medicines. I was distrustful and skeptical of alternative healing modalities or metaphysical concepts until I had spiritual experiences and events that could not be explained by what I knew. And I then met other people who had similar experiences. Till I opened my eyes to what existed beyond what I was told or what I was sold, things didn't change for me. And at any point in history, we can look back at advancements in science or technology that at one time, those exact ideas, before they could be understood, would be also viewed as quackery. With the limitations of human evolution and consciousness, dissenters from mainstream ideas were jailed, killed, burned at the stake until those advancements became understood by the culture and eventually accepted. Until then, those ideas, modalities, and even people who support them tended to be vilified. This leads us to today's guest. First, I do want to get, give credit again to Molly Adler, who's back from the Borderline podcast, is rapidly becoming one of my favorite shows. Mm. I was exposed to today's guest after listening to him on Back from the Borderline. Since I believe there are no coincidences, and everything is happening for me 
not to me. My exposure to his career is an opportunity for me to learn and for our listeners to learn as well. We're certainly going to look for a radically genuine conversation um, to push ideas, concepts, challenge what is the norm. Hopefully we can all feel a little bit uncomfortable because it is only within that discomfort where we will grow. With that being said, I want to introduce Dr. Larry Burke, who is a co-founder of Duke Integrative Medicine, uh, recently retired in 2021 after a 40-year career as a holistic radiologist. He did his medical school and residency training at the University of Pittsburgh. He transitioned from one of the leading MRI researchers on uh, MRI of the knee and shoulder in the 80s to becoming a, the co-founder of Duke Integrative Medicine in the, in the 90s and then a certified energy health practitioner in 2010, as is described in his previous book, Let Magic Happen, Adventures in Healing with a Holistic Radiologist. So we're going to be exposed to someone who woke up a lot earlier than us, been awake for a while, and has been an uh, innovator, trailblazer, in being able to shift from the traditional allopathic training that's provided to a coordinating with one of the most prestigious academic institutions in the United States and in the world to create a integrative medicine clinic. So much to learn there. He's trained in acupuncture, hypnosis, as I said before, certified energy health practitioner. He's a founding member of the American Board of Scientific Medical Intuition and a former board president of the Rhine Research Center. Right now, he's doing online coaching practices. He specializes in things that are going to be new to us. Uh, EFT, dream work for pain, immune and sinus conditions. His background is so diverse. His knowledge of integrative, traditional, Eastern, holistic, metaphysical healing is so extensive. I can't do it justice with a quick bio. But it offers us the opportunities to ask questions about things maybe we think about but do not say out loud. Bottom line is this, please enter this episode with an open mind. Dr. Larry Burke, welcome to the Radically Genuine Podcast. Great to be here, Roger and Sean. Uh, yeah, uh, listening to my bio, I'm going like, where did I go off the rails? Uh. Well, that's the first question. I mean, you were traditionally trained as a Western medical yeah. physician. Uh, you eventually connected into this path that is so off the typical trajectory. Um, so how did you awaken? How did you take the road less traveled? I moved from Pittsburgh to Philadelphia. That, that was the, the first trigger and <clears throat> found my first metaphysical bookstore, the, the famous Garland of Letters on South Street. And my, my radiology uh, colleague who, who preceded me at University of Pennsylvania took me there as a joke. It was like, oh, look at this place with the incense and the big crystals and, 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 and the wild books. Little did he know that I would go back there uh, every week and buy a book for the next two years. And, and it was uh, mind-blowing. And, and then uh, I also joined the National Safety Committee for Society for Magnetic Resonance Imaging. So we're worried about health effects of electromagnetic fields. And we didn't know anything back in those days. So that was another rabbit hole that I went down that got me interested in all the electromagnetic uh, healing effects. The second book I, I read at the... Garden of Letters was The Body Electric by Robert Becker. Uh, and since I'm an orthopedic radiologist, he's an orthopedic surgeon who was pioneering, you know, electromagnetic healing for, for fractures that wouldn't heal. 
And that back then that was fringe science. And now there is uh, a, a plethora of companies that sell these devices that, that accelerate bone healing. But in the middle of Becker's book, there's this, uh, uh, basically when Nixon went to China in 72 and, and one of James Reston got acupuncture during his appendectomy, uh, after his appendectomy, his abdominal pain, they called the acupuncturist, came in, abdominal pain went away, came back to the New York Times, wrote an article about it. Acupuncturists flocked out of uh, all the Chinatowns around the country and the NIH just freaked out. It's like, whoa, we got to find out how this works. So they gave Becker a million dollar grant, figuring it must be electromagnetic. And so in that book, there's a, there's a contour map of an acupuncture point with skin resistance and showing that the resistance drops when you go over the point and the conductance goes up. And, and the caption was, acupuncture has an objective basis in reality. And that was life-changing for me because then I wanted to learn acupuncture. And that, that, that sort of opened the, and, and during the, the MRI safety committee, we're worried about people who are claustrophobic. So I learned hypnosis as an alternative to uh, sedation. Those are my two entrees into the field, that, you know, uh, acupuncture and hypnosis. And, and that's how it all started. So it actually did start with that entering into that bookstore. Do you believe in coincidences? <laughs> the other coincidence that happened was I, I, I watched Shirley MacLaine's Out on the Limb TV miniseries that same year. And, and she walks into the Bodhi Tree bookstore in, uh, in Los Angeles and books start jumping off, off the shelf at her and change her life. So, yeah, that, that was uh, many things converged. That, and that was also the harmonic convergence in 1987, Jose Arguelles talked about the you know, the Mayan calendar. That all happened right then in 1987. So, well, since you did um, uh, just talk about your exposure to kind of like Eastern medicines and um, going into acupuncture, what can you tell us about your experience with acupuncture? What value does it actually have currently? Um, health-wise, what have you learned? What are you experiencing? What conditions are you using it on? What do you think happens? Yeah, I, I, so I got interested in acupuncture in like 97. I didn't take my training until uh, 1998. And at that time, it was the UCLA acupuncture course. And it was the hottest CME course in the country. There were 5,000 physicians uh, taking that. No, I'm sorry, 500 physicians taking that course and paying $5,000 each for it. And, uh, and it was it was a revelation. That was also the year that the NIH, 1998, uh, started the Office of Alternative Medicine. So that was like a breakout year in acupuncture. They also published a review article, a consensus statement about acupuncture, reviewing hundreds of articles showing that there's an, there is an objective basis in, in, in real science, from the basic science up to the clinical science. And, and the acupuncture literature is really robust. I mean, one, the most impressive thing to me was uh, in the animal models they, they use, if you gave Narcan, you know, which is the endorphin blocker, the acupuncture wouldn't work in the animals. So there, it was clear that the acupuncture system was activating the endorphin system. And there have been lots of other studies, you know, placebo sham controls. Uh, and that acupuncture literature is really robust and it just continues to grow. I practiced acupuncture from 98 uh, to 2004. And then I that's when I got interested in emotional freedom techniques, which is for me, the ideal combination between uh, acupuncture and hypnosis. Uh, you combine the, the, the two, uh, you know, in, instead of putting needles in, you're tapping on the acupuncture points. And you, instead of saying positive phrases, like in hypnosis, you're saying negative phrases. And, and, and that was a 
merger those two ancient traditions in, in, a, in a new modality, which was really you know, big for me. And the acupuncture uh, research was sort of a platform on which EFT research was built. And there are now over 50 randomized controlled trials of EFT uh, and way more other, other clinical studies. But when I started in, in 2002, there was one and it hadn't been published yet. So I, I, was, I was at Duke going, I'm going to do EFT at, and it's evidence-based medicine. Look, there's one preprint article here. And, and that was like, not good enough for, uh, for the powers to be at Duke. So, Okay. So I'm interested in underlying mechanisms of action into any kind of intervention or treatment. So what are the underlying mechanisms of action that would exist with acupuncture or EFT, both of them? Some. Uh, well, uh, there have been some studies in the last uh, couple of decades looking at if they can actually find the mysterious channels. And some of them involved injecting uh, radioactive uh, dye into the acupuncture meridians and watching it flow. Uh, some have been anatomic dissections, looking for these tiny little channels that they find that ordinarily at surgery, you would just disrupt them and wouldn't even notice them. Uh, but that research has you know, shed some light on possible mechanisms of acupuncture. The EFT mechanisms, which I find really interesting, are the, the metaphor that I explained to all my clients is, uh, Every bad thing that ever happened to you, every trauma is like a malware program. It gets downloaded into your body uh, and, you know, it's up, uptake through the acupuncture meridians and then through the nervous system up into your limbic system in your brain where all your emotional files are stored. And in that uh, file, there is a picture of what happened, a story about what happened, uh, and this program that will run your body back to the original scene of, of the trauma. And so all we do with EFT is we find the file name and have the patient client re repeat the file name over and over again, start the program running in a controlled fashion because uh, you don't want to re-traumatize people. So you tell them, okay, you're in control of this process. So you can just start that file opening. As soon as, as your body starts to feel that, you start tapping on the acupuncture points and there's nine of them on the face and chest. And, uh, and then the metaphor is you're hitting the delete key on, on your computer and you uninstall that program. And when you go back and you and you look in the file when you're done, there's a picture and a story and there there is the program is gone. And the, the neurophysiologic explanation has several different terms. One is uh, uh, memory reconsolidation is a pretty hot topic these days. So any memory you have is only as old as the last time you opened it. So if you opened it, you, you, you work. We started tapping and had this pleasant sensation on, on, on your body and then save the file. All the, 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 the palpitations and the gut-wrenching feelings you had are, are gone, and, and you've got this replaced with this feeling. So that's why people get immediate results. All right. I've got some really important questions to you because I am a clinical psychologist, mm -hmm. and I do treat post-traumatic stress. So some of my patients have been you know, horrible victims to sexual trauma, some yeah. violent sexual trauma. Yeah. And we do have some, you know, some established therapies that exist in psychotherapy, you know, including like prolonged exposure, EMDR, um, mm -hmm. cognitive processing therapies. There are some underlying mechanisms of action that mean that exposure to the trauma memory itself is necessary for healing. We're very resilient um, in order to process that memory and reconsolidate that memory. We can now like observe it and we can speak to it and, you know, what, what remains in the dark cannot heal. And so we do see that improve a portion of people. 
Also, you know, what you learn from the trauma itself has powerful influences in how it's filtered out and how you see yourself in the world. So there's value in those, and I have some success in that. But there's a percentage of people that uh, it's like their nervous system continues to be so reactive to uh, any reminder, any stimuli. Uh, you know, for if someone was you know, sexually assaulted or you know, stalked or anything like that, then it would be attention to any threat, right? Um, and they just sometimes have a hard time being able to regulate fear. And in that regard, I think there's limitations to the therapies we have and we have to expand our knowledge and we have to be able to some way engage the, the nervous system and there has to be rewiring and there has to be relearning, right? So I'll have clients who say like, logically, I know I'm safe. Logically, I know it's in the past, but I still can't calm down. Right? So when I say that to you, what's the answer back from what you know about what the path would be for healing for someone like that? Well, I think I, first of all, I should say, I'm not a mental health professional, so I'm not trained in EMDR. I have been exposed to all those techniques you, you mentioned. And I have a lot of friends who are trained in both EMDR and EFT. And it's interesting to hear their perspective and that they say, oh yeah, you know, EMDR is a one-on-one, -on -one, pretty intense therapy. And, and the rub you hear on that is sometimes people get ab reactions. Uh, and I've had people who had ab reactions during EMDR and then came to do EFT with me. And I keep it light. I, 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 don't, I don't go deep in, into and risk that re-traumatization. And I also don't advertise that I treat PTSD because I'm not a mental health professional. However, can I ask you a question? Because you use, use that word twice, re-traumatization, right? So that would be, you know, an area where you know, I would have disagreement as a clinical psychologist. I don't think you can be re-traumatized by a memory, but you seem to maybe think differently. Well, maybe uh, the term for it is ab reaction, I guess. Okay. And, and the, All right. Yeah, that might be a better term. What is that? Uh, what is yeah. uh, So I actually think it's harmful to communicate it to somebody to be afraid of their own memories, okay. right? Yeah. Because that, yeah, would, true. that yeah. would lead them to be to avoid the actual processing of the, the trauma. It's actually opposite. We have to take an accepting stance. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we say to our clients is remembering isn't the same as reliving. Okay. Right. Cause you, like you are so, safe, right? So yeah. re remembering it. And I see, I hear too many mental health professionals avoid processing trauma with people under uh -huh. the idea that it's somehow emotional distress or pain is re-traumatizing. So I just wanted a clarity for that, for our, for our listening. I, I like that. That's very useful. And I always like having a dialogue with the mental health professional, especially someone who knows uh, how to work with trauma. And and I did go up to Boston about uh, 15 years ago and, and took Bessel van der Kolk's, uh, you know, trauma conference. So I got, got a little exposure to some of what, and his, his book, The Body Keeps the Score is life-changing. Yeah, yeah, it, it seems similar because, so I engage in, uh, for the most part, daily yoga practice. Hmm. And in that world, they speak about the movement of energy or like energy can get stuck or yeah. blocked, blocked, blocks, the better word. So when you're talking about things in terms of, of this, whether it's when it's EFT or we'll talk more about energy healing, is that same idea um, that, you know, the electrical nature of, uh, of human beings that are, that there's energy that can actually get blocked and create interference. Well, again, I like to use a metaphor for this too. It's like, it's break the word emotion up into two words. Emotion, energy, and motion, 
and, and that works for acupuncture, works for EFT. It's like you explain to people, the emotions are supposed to move through your body and keep going. And if they get stuck anywhere, if the energy gets stuck someplace, that's where you, you get a symptom. And, and, and that's it. Um, people can get their mind around that. Uh, and, and I always bring up Rumi's uh, famous poem, The Guest House, uh, which is taught in a lot of the mindfulness-based uh, stress reduction programs. It's, it's this being human is a guest house. It's like invite all the visitors in if it's a, a terrible sorrow or a, a screaming anger or a wonderful joy. Um, they may be messengers from beyond bringing you some important gift. Uh, but the key point is in the title. It's a guest house. They can come, welcome them in, and then let them move. Even, even a joy can be a problem because you can get manic in Chinese medicine if you get too much joy. Uh, imbalances the heart meridian so so yeah and he just and, and also another great correlation with that is if you read michael singer's books uh untethered soul oh you need to go you need to, if you could get him on the podcast that would be phenomenal all right so you know how i believe that there are no coincidences so every time a guest brings up a book that i'm supposed to read i read it body electric was brought up by dr leland stillman and I, I think you may have ordered it. You maybe have not read it yet. I do. <laughs> I have it at home. Yeah. Okay. I have it at home because I ordered it after, but I haven't read that one. Yeah. You took pictures of the books that he said and you showed it that you had actually purchased them. So, okay. Who's the author again? Michael Singer. Three famous books. The first was The Untethered Soul. Second is The Surrender Experiment. And the third is uh, Living Untethered. And uh, his a remarkable story and, and and it's really all about uh, his secular uh, approach to meditation and he describes an important concept of, from the uh, Sanskrit is the samskara that, that gets stuck in the heart chakra and, and he, he described because he always talked his main message is no matter what you do keep your heart open and don't hold on to anything and he said the, the things that hurt your heart create negative samskaras and you spend the rest of your life attempting to heal them. But the positive samskaras are the, are the really great things you had uh, that get attached there and you spend the rest of your life, life trying to find them again. And, and so he says, either way, the samskaras need, need, to, need to go. And he's just a brilliant teacher. And, and the three books are progression of his whole belief system. And, and plus, not only that, but he's also a Fortune 500 uh, CEO. <laughs> yeah, fascinating, fascinating. Dr. Burke, we had a, a guest on our podcast. Uh, it was, I believe it was episode 99. His name is Danny Carroll. He has a book called Cancer is Not a Terminal Illness. Ah, yes. And at the time we had the conversation with him, we were very hesitant, very reluctant. We felt like what he was communicating could be misinterpreted, and we had concerns. And he constantly talked about a, a cancer is a physical manifestation of a conflict and if you recognize the conflict in your life and you um, resolve that conflict your body will respond and heal that cancer a lot of what you're saying there's a thread that connects it and my walk away from that experience was like there's something there that there's some truth in it I don't know if it's necessarily the way he's understanding it in terms of like that energy and that flowing through the bottom and healing, do you think that we have multiple understandings of how that is and, and yours is just another method or another way of approaching that healing process? Well, I only know just a little bit about New German medicine. So I'm going to approach this from a couple other other ways. Uh, my 
the first physician who ever really uh, got me thinking outside the box was Bernie Siegel with Love, Medicine, and Miracles. And, and that was back uh, way back in uh, 87. And uh, my dad had kidney cancer at the time, just diagnosed with kidney cancer. And two things happened uh, in, in that regard. Um, I just moved to Philadelphia. He, he, first trip out to, from Philadelphia, uh, uh, from Pittsburgh to for him was for Thanksgiving dinner. That night, I just started keeping a dream diary a, a, a few uh, months before. That night I had a dream that I had a, a, a cancer in my, on the left side of my brain. Everyone was shocked because I was asymptomatic. Uh, a week later, my dad, I was at the RSNA big radiology meeting in Chicago. I got a phone call. My dad peed blood. He's in the ER. They get a CAT scan. He's got a big left kidney cancer. I was like, that was life changing for, for, for our family. And uh, I had uh, uh, just encountered Bernie Siegel's book by synchronicity a, a few days before, bought the book for him. And, and uh, the whole thing was a magical awakening. But Bernie Siegel mentions in there that, you know, he's the first physician who ever gave me credence to dreams having any uh, significance. And when I looked back through my dream diary and found that I had dreamed about my dad's cancer the only night I saw him. And, but, you know, oftentimes you dream about yourself and it may be about someone else. And, and, but, but he had the kidney. It was the left side of kidney cancer. The kidneys like a, a brain. It's got a cortex and a medulla. He was asymptomatic totally. It was a shock to everyone. And I'm the same. I'm a junior. So I have the same name as he does. So it was a pretty interesting fit. And then my dad had trained in transactional analysis. And, and he would use, in the year or two leading up to the cancer, he would say, I'm building up a crud ball of frustration uh, and, and related to his job as a steel mill executive. And he would gesture right to the place where the kidney cancer was. And a crud ball of frustration, that speaks to some of the German uh, medicine. The other uh, way I'll approach that is through my interest in medical intuition. Uh, the first case I ever had... Uh, uh, demonstrated for me by famous medical intuitive Carolyn Mace uh, was a, I'd met her at the Edgar Casey uh, Association for Research and Enlightenment. Uh, I'd asked her if she could demonstrate what she does because she does it remotely. And, uh, and she had written a book with Norm Sheely, who's one of my mentors, a neuro, famous neurosurgeon and, and uh, founding of the American Holistic Medical Association. And, and they wrote the book Creation of Health, which talks a lot about medical intuition concepts. And, and so so I asked Carolyn, oh, can I, we do some research, you know? And, and she goes, oh, I only work with, with Norm and Christiane Northrup, and that's about it. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. And, and so I took her number down, and two weeks later, I had this uh, MRI scan of a young girl who walked into the MRI scanner in Virginia Beach. She had, the requisition said, you know, like sciatica, you know, leg pain. And when she limped into the MRI scanner, I thought she was faking it to get out of a day of school. That was my crude intuition. Unfortunately, it came from my best orthopedic surgeon. So she got on the scanner and she has a huge tumor in, in the left side of her sacrum, uh, which is working its way in the spine, causing nerve damage and all this other stuff. And, and I was like, whoa. So Carolyn happened to call me back that afternoon. I said, Carolyn, can you show me what, what, you, what you do? She, she goes, look, I, I really don't want, don't want to work with you. And I was like, okay, maybe some other time. And she goes, I'll take a quick look. She's very gruff, you know, and it's like, yeah, okay. I gave her the name and the age of this young girl. I didn't give her uh, any inf clinical information, nothing. And uh, there was five seconds of silence on the other end of the, uh, the line. All of a sudden, she, and she's in Chicago and I'm, I'm in Virginia Beach. She goes, 
oh, there's a large tumor in the pelvis working its way into the spine. I was like, okay. That was, I mean, in Duke basketball terms, that was a slam dunk, you know, and, uh, and, and I was pretty stunned, but I managed to stammer out, uh, uh, tell, tell me more. Um, and she goes, oh, this girl has a severe imbalance of the second chakra energy center. And it's related to a whole host of things, genetics, her relationship with her mother, family background. And I'm going, whoa. And that was way more information than I had. Uh, and then I said, how did you get that information? So I tuned into her through you using that spiritual signature of her name and, and, uh, and age. And, and, and the wild thing was, I, when I looked at her, I thought the girl was like 10, but the, the requisition said 13. And when I asked Carolyn for more of an explanation, she goes, this is an immature young girl. She got nailed that one without ever seeing the girl. Immature young girl who would rather die than go through puberty. It was like, whoa. Uh, and, and so talk about a, a heavy emotional uh, conflict there. Uh, she definitely had it. And, and then I said, uh, that's a pretty heavy trip to, to lay on this girl. As a radiologist, I, I always make a differential diagnosis. So I said, it, it could be a, a malignant tumor, but it could be an infection or, or I, in my heart, I knew it wasn't an infection. It was a Ewing sarcoma. And it was like, yeah, it, it was pretty, pretty straightforward diagnosis. And she goes, no, no, this is a terminal condition. I'm like, what? You know, and, and, and so then two weeks later, the, the girl had a biopsy. It was a Ewing sarcoma. They did nerve damage during the biopsy. She got the wrong chemo and the wrong radiation protocols as if there was some sort of bizarre death wish playing out. But when I left Virginia Beach a week, uh, uh, a year later, I seen her once in a follow-up uh, scan and she was still alive. I don't have any more follow-up on that, but that was, that, that was a life-changing experience right there. So. Well, that, that blows my mind and now we're off and running. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay <good. laughs> so I want to get more into this idea of intuition, intuitive sense. Maybe this is the time just to kind of share our story a little bit, Sean. Can, can I share a dream since oh, yeah. Dr. Burke, you brought up a dream and I've never really spoken about this. So um, I had a, a very vivid dream. Um, it was over, you know, 20 years ago at this point. And I, in my dream, imagine, you know, in the movie Jurassic Park, when they're running and all the dinosaurs are chasing them, they're like almost in that valley. Yeah. So I was in this green field, very green on both sides were, were mountains and there was boulders scattered about. And I was with my father and I looked up in the sky and we saw a passenger plane, like a 737, kind of teetering back and forth coming towards us. And we turned and we started to run. And we ran and ran and the plane was getting closer. We knew it was going to crash behind us. And we jumped behind these boulders and everything kind of wrecked and exploded around us. And I woke up from that dream with this intense nausea. And I went downstairs to the kitchen in the house that I was staying in kind of got a glass of water and I had the phone in my hand and it was probably about four o'clock in the morning and I, I wanted to call, you know, my, my parents and just like check in. And um, just hours after that, my father, our father had uh, died of a massive heart attack. So it was within Ooh. six to eight hours. I don't know exactly what time he fell asleep. You never, why'd you never say that? I think I, I said it like once or twice, but you know, everybody else has their own experiences, but that was just a dream. Um, can but, I tell you what happened to me? No. Yeah. I've never. Just, uh, that was, I like when you say it was just a dream. Yeah. It was well, more I, than just I, a you dream. You know, I'm, I'm a skeptical person and um, I didn't want to wake them up because it was four o'clock in the morning and it was like one of these things that I would just put off and, 
and then check in with them afterwards and say, I had this horrible dream, but that, that window was obviously too short to have that conversation. Wow. Yeah, and, and, and when, uh, those are very common uh, occurrences, more common than you might realize. And uh, I wrote a, a blog about this called The Spiritual Alphabet Soup of Death and Dying, looking at the four phenomena around death. Uh, one, most people are familiar with near-death experiences. Uh, the second is after-death communication, uh, which is like if, this had ha if, if you had heard from your dad Weeks later, that would be an after-death communication. Well, hold on, um, there's more to this. Story. Okay, more to that. And, so go ahead, say the four and, things though. And then, and then the near, nearing death awareness is is the phenomenon of people uh, getting communications as they're dying in in the, in the month before they die. They get visitations by relatives. It's called the welcoming committee, mm. and, and that's well documented uh, in one of the most famous TED talks ever uh, by uh, Christopher Kerr from uh, Buffalo Palliative Care. It's called I See Dead People. It's got like six million views. And he talks about his research documenting that people have those experiences at the end of life, they have a better outcome. And, and now the fourth one is the rarest, and it's called a shared death experience, which is somewhat similar to what you had, um, because that's something that you're either at the bedside when the person's dying, and you go into an altered state of consciousness and experience their death, or you're not there, and you are somehow tuned into their death when it's happening. And that happened to me with my aunt Betty, who was uh, my mother's sister. She'd been a COPD smoker for years on an oxygen tank. But one night I just had, I didn't know, I hadn't heard from her in months. Uh, one night she shows up in my dream. She's younger than um, her age at the time. And that often occurs in what we call visitation dreams. And that's where they show up and then uh, she goes, little Betsy's going home and waves to me and, and walks away. Uh, and I called my mother that morning, just like, yeah, and it's like, yeah, Aunt Betty died uh, last night. And, and I said, well, she said Betsy, and I, that doesn't really register with me. She said, oh, that was Uncle Walt's uh, pet name for her. And he's the only one that used it. And I was like, wow. So that was a shared death experience. So you had something similar to that. Yeah, I did. And I think Roger may, I'll, can you share your story, Roger? I don't well, you had more to say on that. So I want to just continue with what you were saying. No, maybe we'll, we'll connect it. I want to hear your story. All right. So this was the night before. So no, there's there, days before. So there's, there's two things. So our father died of a heart attack on his 50th birthday. And I was young. Wow. I was in, I guess, my early 20s then, 24 years old, yeah. maybe. Um, and I was a high school football coach. Um, and working as a juvenile probation officer. It's before I went on my path to become a psychologist. <laughs> so, nice. like, I saw him, like, Thursday before our Friday night game. I think his um, his birthday was, like, on a Monday or something like that, or Tuesday. Uh, I think it was a Friday. So I think you saw him. Oh, wait, so it was the week before. Okay. okay. So it was the week before he, um, yeah, now I remember. It was the week before. It was after our game. Uh, and I, I asked him if he was coming to the game the following week, which was his birthday. Mm -hmm. And he stopped and he looked at me with the strangest look on his face, right? Like he wasn't going to be here, right? And I felt it, right? Like, like he couldn't commit to doing anything that day. It's his 50th birthday. Wow. He was a college football player, all American, really into sports. So you know, he would have definitely committed to coming to watch the game that I was coaching. Yeah. And it was the oddest experience, but it didn't make sense of it at that time. Fast forward to the Friday morning, mm -hmm. I'm driving into work and 
I get shot with energy. Like this elevation in mood and experience that felt surreal and supernatural. Um, I didn't know what was going on with me. It almost felt like manic-like. And I became so excited about my day, which wow. I attributed it to the the game that night because I was excited just to coach. I love football. Um, excited about my job that day. Like it was just this in tremendous elevation in mood that I've never experienced any, you know, at any other point mm. in my life. And mm. although I get excited about a lot of things, this was at a, a supernatural level. I drive into work that day and call him to wish him happy birthday, but end up leaving a message on the answering machine. Uh-huh. You know, I later find out, you know, I got a call, you know, that he did die. He had a heart attack. But that exact time frame, the exact moment that I felt that emotion was the exact time of his death mm-hmm. um so that stands out you you experienced something right prior to him dying and then i experienced that but we've never talked about it no no nope. yeah and, and believe it or not these things are uh, uh, they're real and they happen and and more just, people just don't talk about them enough yeah. so can i tell you can we can i talk to you a little bit about intuition so oh yeah um you know here's another situation I, you know we talked about this on the podcast um it was February 2020. My, my father, by the way, was a huge Billy Joel fan. Oh, All yeah. he did was listen to Billy Joel. Like if wow. we had long car rides or anything, yeah. it became the soundtrack of our life, really. Like we listened to Billy Joel songs. So anyway, during the entire, basically the entire month of February, so it was right before COVID, uh, every time I got into my car, a Billy Joel song popped on the, on the radio. Wow. And I was in the, my car a lot, back and forth to work, picking my kid up at like wrestling practice taking him to like workouts you know a lot of back and forth in in my car every single time i would a billy joel would pop on on the radio so it was so odd people would pop into my car and i'd say you know listen billy joel is going to pop on the radio i'm turning i'm turning the station to something where he would not come on like a serious radio i would put on like a modern station or something else and then it would, it would come on, right? And then COVID happens and I end up within maybe that summer, I don't remember, or fall, uh, I, I wake up out of sleep one, one day, I walk downstairs and I, I write an entire uh, email to Sean, my brother, who's sitting right here, living in Los Angeles, California. Yep. None of the thoughts came from my mind. I just wrote the entire thing. I never thought about this ever before. It never popped into my head. I never considered it to bring Sean back home here in the Lehigh Valley, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, to be a part of something that's ahead of us that I don't know if I could have really identified what it was going to be. So I write this really long email to him and it's about, he's, he's just about to have a son, right? I think you had a son right after I wrote that. Uh, uh, you so wrote it, it to me. It was five days before he was born. Five days before his son was born to really invite him here, which becomes the Radically Genuine podcast. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and other things. And that, lots of other things. Other yeah. things that we're, 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 we're doing. Um, and it took me on a path where I ended up meeting a woman who I guess we can identify her as a medium or she has those capabilities. Mm-hmm. And I ended up talking to my father uh, and I was a skeptic. Nice. This is when I was, sure? I was still asleep. I was a skeptic. So I, my, my father ended up talking through her 
and having conversations with me that only he and I would know. I never opened my mouth to not give her anything about me because I was a skeptic. And to make a long story short, I met with her probably, you know, twice a year for the next couple of years. Um, I usually kind of go every six months. Every time I go, she has another message for me and a book to read. One book takes me to another book to another book. So I have probably read 40 books, listened to channelers, number of things. But one of the consistent messages that has been, hap- has been occurring was she told me there was a guide who works with me with my clients. And then I'm wow. really, really good at certain things. And, but I'm not helping people in the way that I can. I need to, um, I need to listen. I need to quiet my mind and I need to listen and the answers are going to be there for me. They're trying to help me. I'm not listening. They're knocking on the door. I'm not answering. Boy, that sounds like that. You're not listening. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes I am. They said like I'm acting in ways that I'm listening to them because I'm not thinking or I'm acting intuitively. But a lot of times I'm acting based on my learning, what I was taught, what I was told. So I committed to... I have committed to consistent meditation practice to quiet my mind. In my meditation practice, ideas come to me, answers come to me, podcasts come to me, books come to me, uh, questions that I ask become answered. And I've taken that same skill into my therapy and I quiet my mind and the work is done through me. What is what is happening there? From your your you know your knowledge of this. Uh, so yeah, and this your story reminds me of uh, uh, one of my first introductions to an intuition teacher was Marcia Emery, who's a Fortune 500 consultant, and she wrote a book uh, about intuition that I had bought, and it was the intuition like workbook, and I did the first exercise out of it and started having some interesting results, and I decided after my dad had died, that I could use this technique called the house of intuition to get a message from my dad. It was like, it was a year after he died. And, I, and so I'm out jogging around uh, the trail around the Duke golf course and where, where I'd, I'd, I'd frequently jog when he was dying and I would send messages to him like, if you die when I'm not there, I expect you to come and let me know. So this is like a year later, he's died. And, and, uh, and, and the exercise is pretty simple. You just all you need is a, is a container with a lid on it and, and an intention about a question that you want to answer to. And then you just, at some point during the visualization, you just pop the lid off and you, you reach in and pull out whatever's in there. And so, but the, the secret is you got to change the container every time to make it fresh and new. So, so I just watched Forrest Gump. And, and of course, immediately I, I saw... First of all, I'm jogging on the trail and I, I, I have my eyes half closed and I start visualizing a feather coming down like the beginning of the movie. It lands on the bench. Tom Hanks is sitting there in a forest and he hands me a box of chocolates and he says the classic line, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get, but I'll bet there's a message from your dad in one of these chocolates. And I'm like, okay. So I open the box. I'm still jogging. Open the box. I look for the, you know, you're always looking for which one is going to have the, the, the caramel fudge in it, you know. So I grab the square uh, dark chocolate one and open it and it's cream filled. I'm a little disappointed that it's, it's filled with cream, but it turns into a cream colored angel on the trail. I'm like, okay, that, that'll work. And, and then the angel hands me a red rose. And that was the message. And then I said, thank you. Nothing else happened. I, I closed, I, the angel went back into the chocolate 
put the lid on, gave it back to Tom Hanks, and I sent the feather back up and I finished my jog. And I was like, what was that about? And, and, and later that night, my wife and I went out to the brand new Barnes & Noble that had just opened, like just opened, the grand opening. They had a Celtic band playing when you walked into place. I walk in, the first shelf I see, there's a book with a feather on the cover. It's like, huh. And so I go up to, it's called The Eagle and the Rose. Okay, and I'm like, whoa, this is getting more interesting. And, and then and then, and then, then I read the, the blurb at the top is by James Redfield. It's like uh, Rosemary Altia's journey uh, shows that life is far more mysterious than uh, you could ever imagine. And James Redfield, The Celestine Prophecy was the, uh, the last book I gave my dad, which he read before he died. Uh, and so it's all starting to come together. Say, well, who's Rosemary Altia? Well, she's one of the most famous mediums in England. She contacts her uh, Apache spirit guide, Gray Eagle, who will get information for her from the other side to relate to, to the sitter. And it's something like, like Roger was describing, like, oh, remember when your dad got you that baseball glove for your 13th birthday? It's like no one else could possibly know that. you know. And, and then that's what gives you the evidence that it's a real communication. So, yeah. Uh, wow. It's interesting because some of these books that come my way, they're not they're actually not for me. They're for a client. And I know exactly the moment where they need it yeah, uh, or where I've read something and then they ask a certain question. I just started scanning through some of the books that have been put in my path because I, for, for the most part, I like to listen to my books, audio books on Audible. So I can just kind of scan through this um, transcending levels of consciousness, power and force. Um, creativity, spirituality, and making a buck, the energy cure, the field, uh, the energy codes, becoming supernatural, conversations with God. The universe always has a plan. The conversation with God, three. Um, Anti-fragile, frequency, uh, what God said, same soul, many bodies, Brian Weiss, messages from the masters, Brian Weiss. Only yeah. love is real, Brian Weiss. Yeah. Past regression, hypnosis. The seven spiritual laws. Um, the law of divine compensation. Journey of souls. Um, signs, right? It's all the same kind of stuff. So I started asking questions, um, like in meditation. And then it would the answer would come in the form of a book that was provided wow. to me. Yeah, that's great. And that continues to happen to this moment. So I wanted to kind of transition maybe into hypnosis because one of the things that I was told, one of the things that was learned is that this is not our only life. Right? And I am uh, born and raised Catholic, right? And so this idea of incarnations, <laughs> right? doesn't fit with the teachings, with my, with my learning. And that we are we are carrying um, burdens uh, from previous lives, or we are conflicts, so to speak, or maybe it's karmic energy, or you know whatever that may be. I wanted to understand your how you think around hypnosis, the idea of past lives, incarnations, purpose, our souls. Kind of, we can walk down in that direction. Yeah. No. No. That. That's. Uh... Uh, a good segue because I, I do address that in uh, I think chapter four of my, of my first book was was uh, Brian Weiss reading those books was life changing for me. I happened to be living in Virginia Beach right next to the ARE at the time, which of course Edgar Casey and past lives are all and there's many regressionists there, and I did have some past life regressions done. Uh, but um, uh, 
a, a couple a uh, couple things come to mind. Uh, one is, and and not only there, the past lives sometimes clue you into what your uh, past traumas are and, and need to heal, but also also sometimes tell you what your strengths are. You know, and and uh, so we move from uh, Virginia Beach to Durham uh, for me to start working at Duke, and my younger daughter was like three years old. You know, and when we arrive at Duke, you know, the basketball capital of, of the East here, um, she's just one morning at breakfast, she goes, when I was big, I used to play basketball. And I'm like, hmm. And I, and I just read the Brian Weiss books. So I'm going like, that's interesting. And then unfortunately, my wife and I are both stupefied, but we didn't ask any more damn questions. It was like, who'd you play for? Were you white or black? Were you male, female? <laughs> you know? Now I really regret that because on her fifth birthday, uh, uh, we bought her Space Jam with the Michael Jordan and the Looney Tunes. And she, that was just like, boom, something happened. She said, I need a basketball hoop. So we went into Toys R Us and got her one of those little six foot basketball hoops. And she says, no, oh, that's not a basketball hoop. So we had to get her one of those 10 foot ones that came down, you know. And then she had a natural three point jump shot ever since she was four, you know. And and she was the star of the high school basketball team. And, uh, wow. and, and, and you know, the whole thing just kind of unfolded. She still coaches basketball now. And uh, it was, captain of the club team at Duke. That was like, that was like a past life, you know, coming through pretty strong. And then what, the, the most important thing that ever happened with me was I, in chapter 16 of that first book, I wrote about my frozen shoulder, which is my favorite mind, body, spirit disease. It's, it's really all about repressed anger in, you know, in your shoulder. And, and I had, I had already worked with some clients with it, with acupuncture and EFT. But when I experienced it myself, I'm like, Oh no, I'm getting a frozen shoulder. This is terrible. And I had no major trauma. It just started hurting and then losing my range of motion. I'm going, oh man. So I went to my favorite um, uh, intuitive uh, uh, counselor here in, in Durham and saying, would you, would you do that? And she also does energy healing. I was going to her for energy healing. And she goes, oh, would you like to um, uh, know about your past lives related to this shoulder? I'm like, okay. I hadn't asked for a reading, but she, she had a spontaneous one. She says, I see where you were burned and poisoned during the, the dark ages for your righteous uh, anger at unjust authority figures. I'm like, ooh, Spanish Inquisition, uh, you know, and, and, and that gave me enough insight to start moving to heal my shoulder. Prior to that, I'd been tapping on my anger issues, which I knew were a problem. I was angry at Dick Cheney and the neocons. It was in 2006. I was furious about 9-11. I, I, I'd gone down the 9-11 truth rabbit hole. Uh, I, I was really, really upset. Uh, and I was giving public lectures on 9-11 truth, which my wife wasn't too thrilled about. But um, and, and so I got really super angry. And when you get super angry and there's nothing you can do about it, that's when you get a frozen shoulder. It's like, and, and, and the, the synovium of, of the, the shoulder is angry red it's inflamed it looks just it's, it's angry you know and 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 so many people uh, i've worked with have no clue they want a mechanical you know, solution to their frozen shoulder and, and so oh let's do a, you know uh, manipulation or anesthesia or surgery or or, or or you know chiropractor or something or, or take some pill and, and do injections but it's like until you address the uh, the anger you're not going to heal it may take a couple of years to heal mine healed in a couple of months because because i had that insight I, I, and I, and my, my tapping wasn't working before that reading from that uh, intuitive. I was tapping on angry about 9-11 and Dick Cheney. But after the reading, I started tapping on angry about Dick Cheney and the Spanish Inquisition. I, I started tapping on a past life, you know. So 
and then my shoulder started getting better. So. That's incredible. Uh, I have a question for you. So anybody who listens to this podcast knows that I periodically um, have the sniffles. And, uh, <laughs> and Roger makes fun of me because he says I'm always sick. But it's I'm not like sick, ill, fever, laying in bed. I just have this recurrent sinus infection yeah. that happens. And I found out um, our mother does too. Like she always gets sinus infections. Is there any connection to sinus <laughs> infection and maybe some type of issue in my life that I need to resolve? I mean, I wrote a blog about that about, about 10 years ago because oh, I had, yeah, I, I had, uh, I had post nasal drip comes along with it, you know, uh, and, and I, uh, had, uh, worked with, uh, some clients with that same issue. And, but, but for me, the, um, the, the I, and I never get sinus infections. Some people genetically, uh, Chinese five element are more predisposed to, to, um, to, to getting, uh, getting sinus problems. So, so I had posting this rip for one of the first times in my life and, and, but, but it occurred, I watched a movie on a Sunday night with my second wife, a couple years after my divorce. And, and it was in a drafty cold theater. And it's like, ah, oh, you know, it's, it, it, I'm getting what in Chinese medicine we call perverse wind invasion. Mm -hmm. That's their metaphor for a virus comes in the back of your neck, goes into your throat, then spreads the rest of your body. If you catch it early, you can extract the perverse wind invasion using hot ginger tea and taking a hot bath. And you, and you drink the tea while you're in the bath, and you, you will sweat out, extract the perverse wind. And I felt great the next the next morning. I was like, oh, this is no problem. So that night, going to bed, all of a sudden I go, <clears throat> I got post-nasal drip. And I'm like, oh, this is annoying. And I start tapping on annoying post-nasal drip, uh, nagging cough nothing i get nowhere you know because uh, i couldn't there was no emotional connection to it and my wife finally goes you're gonna do that all night long you're going to the basement so i got banished to the basement and i i was down there coughing the rest of the night the next morning i, I felt okay no cold but the same thing happened the next night and the following night by the third night i was pretty drained and i was like oh, oh and by the way i had looked looked <laughs> looked up post nasal drip in louise hayes heal your body book which i've been using for many years and it's, it's like louise the, hayes the book i'm reading right now by the way yeah, and, and, right, and, so and Louise, she, she's a, a treasure, you know, and, and she, the final version of that book she wrote with Mona Lisa Schultz, who's a famous MD, PhD medical intuitive, uh, it's called All is Well. So that, that's the, the, the book I'm just into right now, and it was given to me in, in meditation for a client. Mm. It's called You Can Heal Your Life. Is that? Yeah, that yeah. she's okay. written many versions of this, okay. uh, and, and but that mine was from 1986, and I've been using it. But my first reaction to it as a physician was, "This is complete bullshit." She's like making up stuff, and but the, the more you use the book, you realize the more there are nuggets of, of truth that she's pulled intuitively out of somewhere. And so I look up. Uh, so that Monday night, I look up post nasal drip and says, "Inner crying," and I'm like, "No, that's a, didn't didn't connect with that at all." And I and, and so. By the third night, I am desperate. I'm, I'm coughing so hard. I have chest pain. I think I broke a rib. It's like two in the morning. I'm in the basement by myself, miserable. And I start, finally, I start tapping and swearing at the top of my lungs. And, and that's called emphatic EFT when, when you really take it to another level. You either cry or you scream. So I was, I was screaming, but shortly thereafter, I started to cry because I realized Oh, I had a flashback to the movie, which of course made sense. And it was, it was Shall We Dance with Richard Gere and Jennifer Lopez. He's a guy going through a midlife crisis, taking ballroom dancing lessons from Jennifer Lopez. 
but he's hiding uh, the lessons from Susan Sarandon, his wife, and their teenage daughter because he wants to surprise them with the big show at the end when, when he's an accomplished dancer. But his teenage daughter can see right through his whole facade and knows something's going on. And then I realized, oh, she reminds me of my two teenage daughters who I hadn't been seeing that much since the divorce, not as much as I wanted to. And I started to cry at like 2.30, start to tap on, I miss my kids, I miss my kids, I miss my kids. I actually got up and sent them an email at three in the morning, which they thought was strange. Uh, but but the post drip was gone in a matter of uh, minutes and it never came back. Yeah. So inner crying, yeah. What's my inner crying? Oh, I've got a lot of inner crying. <laughs> Yeah, so when I work with work with clients, uh, uh, the, you know, and obviously you go to an ENT surgeon, uh, they're going to want to give you Benadryl and and uh, you know Zyrtec, and and then they're going to operate on you because your your one turbinate's too big. We're going to we're going to operate on that and do the rotor rooter process in your sinuses. But I always say, well, just just ask people, did you lose anybody significantly when the symptoms started? And I, I was sharing this for a bunch of hundred psychotherapists. I was teaching EFT. And I asked them, I told them the story and this woman comes up to me after she goes, I think I got what, you, what you're describing. My husband died nine months ago. We were really close. And for the last nine months, I've had sinusitis, post-sinus drip, and, and also bronchitis, which goes along with uh, the grief uh, element in Chinese medicine is the metal element, which involves the lung and, and the sinuses. She had all those things. She'd been taking multiple courses of antibiotics and she was scheduled for sinus surgery in two weeks. And it's like... I go, okay, well, and she goes, let's do a session with you. And so we did a tapping session. We tapped on the grief about her husband. She shared she'd had an after-death communication dream from him. And I re anytime I hear that from a client, I reinforce that. That's We call, we call that really a, a visitation experience. It's a real phenomenon. And you should take that as comfort for your grief. And so she did that. Uh, I sent her to my wife. Uh, my second wife is an acupuncturist now. And, and so she did some acupuncture with her. Uh, she went to a holistic ENT who taught her to use like the neti pots and things like that. So her sinuses were completely cleared out. She calls the surgeon to cancel the surgery. It's like, ah, my sinuses are fine. I'm going to cancel the surgery. She goes, no, 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 you have a mechanical problem. I need to go in and, and fix that with my rotor rooter device, you know, whatever. And she goes, no, I had a metaphor uh, trapped in, in my body of the grief and it's gone. And then the anniversary of her husband's death, she just sailed right right through it. So, so you, wrote, you wrote the book, Dreams That Can Save Your Life, Early Warning Signs of Cancer and Other Illnesses. This was released in 2018. Um, this is a good opening for, you know, what you've learned from women who were diagnosed with breast cancer. Yeah, yeah. But before we do, I just want to check in with Sean about the uh, uh, exploring. So what you want to do is just explore the griefs. And, and I have my clients keep a top 10 list of the worst things that ever happened to them. Mm -hmm. and, and then that's their homework just to work through it. Well, I'm going to do that because obviously our father, there's, there's possibly something there that I need to, to resolve, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to read a, a little bit about EFT and, and start um, trying some things. See, and I've been telling you, it's your, the fact that you're not drinking raw milk and raw <laughs> kefir and, and eating beef liver. Well, <laughs> that's, that's the first thing I ask people is what's your diet? Are you, are you, are you okay with milk products? That's the first, you know, you just eliminate the simple things first. I'm but if that, doesn't, if that doesn't help, then, then you got to dig into the uh, degree. And I, I refer to my, my clients like this, we're going on a treasure hunt. We're going to find the energy that you lost along the way. And we're going to help you get it, get it back. And, and from a shamanic point of view, that's called soul retrieval, you know, uh, and 
depth psychology, it, it's all part of the same process. You, you did mention something a little bit earlier that piqued my interest. Um, I, even, I can't even remember your exact words, but it was something to kind of like surrendering and, 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 and joy, right? Like just kind of, mm. and these are the messages. It's easier the, if you're listening. I think it's kind of what you were saying um, because you were talking about your meditation and, and quieting the mind. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you should have fun with it too, right? Like life, life is an, is an adventure. Um, and so one of the things that are coming to me now often is that out, I don't have to control everything. I don't have to predict everything. I don't have to plan for everything, mm-hmm. but ju- just to yet just surrender to the, um, to your higher self, to the divine surrender to the, the energy. It's some, it's about allowing the energy to be, to be present and you will create. So any, any comments on that? Well, well, surrendering to the plot twists in your life, because uh, I, I like to say that God has a sense of humor. Uh, if you don't get the joke, then the joke is on you. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, I mean, you got to, if you, if you don't keep a sense of humor these days, you're going to go crazy. I mean, the, the things that have been going on for the last four years are just beyond, beyond belief, so surreal. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and to that point, I think Roger gets very distracted by some of those things that he can't control, that he gets fixated on, and it angers him, and it pulls him away from the things that he's really good at, which is healing people and getting them to... Can I jump in there? Go for it. Because I think you're exactly right. And That's I've, why I get so angry at you in I, this room I, sometimes. I've been struggling the last two, two weeks. weeks. Yep, this yeah. last two weeks. You can pro- you're going to hear it in the podcast that we released last week. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, it's because I, I feel the, the anger and, and COVID pushed a lot of that to me. Um, I do think it's past life stuff because when I met with that medium, she said I have some real past life traumas where I think I was harmed by illegitimate authority uh, in some way. And I it's am oppositional defiance. <laughs> I am fixated and obsessed on two areas of history, World War II and the Revolutionary War. Sure. So, so much so that when you know, my wife isn't into that, but she, you know, if she's, if we're ever going to like watch something at night, I, I, it's got to be like a compromise. I got to like watch something that she's willing to watch. But it's like, she's away, like she was away for a couple of days visiting her sister. And I just, you know, found documentaries, uh, you know, I'm watching, I'm, I'm bouncing back and forth for Nazi Germany and the, and the revolutionary war. And I'm just, I can, get lost in it for hours. And I've just always been like that. And so when it came to COVID and I knew we were being lied to and I knew we were being controlled and my work with the psychiatric industrial complex with trying to drug the population, right? And everything I'm doing with this podcast and trying to bring the information to people, it is driven by such a passion, such an intensity to try to prevent further harm that sometimes it gets in my way and I end up seeing my brother as a bystander <laughs> and he becomes the, um, the punching bag. He becomes the, fo- <laughs> the focus of, because I look at Nazi Germany and I get angry at the people allowing that to happen. Right? Like, like how, how do ordinary men, you know, as an example, you know, the book, ordinary men, how do people who, um, you know, were just, Ordinary citizens follow out mass murder on innocent people, right? How do they allow it to happen? How do they allow it to happen? And I get mad at the bystanders. And I got mad at the bystanders during COVID 
um, who would get forced vaccinations, mandated vaccinations that were never studied on a human population, right? And they would try to divide the people and they'd go with it, right? And they would say that if you don't engage in this experiment, you're harming me or you're harming others. Just the blind obedience to the authority just has, is, it creates a rage within me and the irrationality around it too and the lack of connection and the lack of courage. And so I know I have to get out of that state of mind because I don't let the energy flow. Well, you, I think it's, I think it's, a, it's a, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, now I was going to say, he knows he can direct it at me because I'm his brother and he can get away with it. But, you know, if he directs it to the wrong person, it could really, you know, alienate him. Well, 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 well here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the challenge. We're walking the fine line razor's edge between needing to know the darkest depths of what's going on and still walking uh, with the attitude of I'm going to create my own reality no matter no matter what happens, you know. And and so speaking of World War II, I'm reading Robert F. Kennedy uh, Jr.'s latest book, which is the Wuhan cover-up about bioweapons. And after reading, you know, the, re the real Anthony Fauci was an eye-opener a few years ago. But but this this the last chapter of that book is the platform for this new book, and it's just like. It's just as mind-boggling as, as the real Anthony Fauci uses. He uses the same slanderous, libelous language in this book as he did in the old one because he'd love for those people to sue him so he can bring all this stuff out in discovery in a lawsuit and he just blow them out of the water. You know? mm -hmm. and, and so, uh, but, but the scariest thing is he starts with the history of bioweapons. And he said, started in World War II. Chemical weapons with World War I, which is one of my, I'm, I'm obsessed with World War I, but, but World War II is all about the biological warfare. And... Hitler, everybody knows about Mengele and, and Hitler's, you know, uh, dark uh, research with, with all the doctors in Germany. But few people know about uh, General Ishii, I-S-H-I-I. And he was the Japanese equivalent. And I had never heard of this guy. But apparently the worst bio-warfare of that war was, was Japan against China. Doc, uh, this Ishii guy would just unleash, uh, you know, like infected rodents and animals and, and send them all to China because apparently estimated killed he half half a half a million Chinese with his uh, his attacks. But worse than that, he did the same thing that Mangala did only on steroids. He had uh, like a several thousand Chinese prisoners who he um, uh, inoculated with all kinds of nasty uh, vermin. And then he dissected them alive mm. to get fresh specimens. That was like whoa that, that almost i almost threw up when i read that one and it's like and then and then they go so what happened to him after the war you'd think he got executed oh no he became a bioweapons consultant for the cia after the war at the in the u.s wow man's inhumanity to man yeah and this bleak. yeah uh, you know we've talked about like matthias desmond's work yeah on yeah. here and uh you know the, the percentage of people are just going to be hypnotized and just go along with the tyranny. And the well, the scary, the scary thing is, is it's the doctors who went along with it. I mean, and the, the entire Ishii and Mengele totally subverted the medical cultures in Germany and Japan. So all these doctors were doing this enthusiastically, thinking it's for the for the motherland, you know, for the war effort. And when you look at what happened in every academic center in the country during COVID, they all got corrupted. Uh, corrupted. And, and it's it's horrifying when I look back at it, that every medical in the, in the center of the country blocked the use of ivermectin in the hospital, pushed remdesivir, which killed, uh, you know, a third of the people that took it. 
and and, and then we're all in, in the name of the, the forced vaccine agenda. And that's just the worst case of malpractice since the World War II experiments. You know, the Nuremberg Code needs to be invoked. You know, so we've tried to kind of walk down the path of kind of understanding things from a transhumanist perspective. The depopulation. Yeah, it's pretty dark. <laughs> it, it's dark. The depopulation movement because you're trying to you're trying to get into the heads of somebody who could justify harm against other yeah. human beings. But I've been kind of looking at some of the, the data and consequences of the COVID vaccine. Uh, I know before we jumped on here, yeah. you know, you had some information because you, you, you've looked, I mean, you, you, you certainly are involved in cancer, in the cancer field. Uh, you know, yeah. what are you learning about the consequences of uh, these mRNA vaccine, quote unquote, vaccines, this technology yeah. is administered? Well, I mean, it seems to be uh, dealing a real death blow to the immune system for a certain number of recipients. It turns out that the latest studies and I follow the three things I follow every week are uh, flccc.net is the um, uh, Paul Merrick and Pierre Corey every Wednesday night at 7 uh, p.m. Eastern time, free Zoom for an hour, the latest COVID updates. I, my wife and I have been watching that for three years, ever, haven't missed a single one. Just amazing stuff. And I, I got to meet Pierre uh, at the um, Children's Health Defense Conference in Savannah uh, a month ago. And that was a highlight because he's 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 good buddies with my brother-in-law, Malcolm Senator Malcolm Roberts in Australia, who's one of the only freedom fighters in all of Australia and my sister's husband. So. Mm. Yeah, and, and so so Pierre, when he heard, heard I was related to Malcolm, he said, let's take a selfie for Malcolm. And we took a picture and <laughs> texted it to Malcolm. Uh, and, and I watched that, and I watched Del Bigtree every Thursday at, at 2 on the ICANN. And ICANN is his Informed Consent Action Network. Yes. And he has the best lawyer in the world working for him, Aaron Siri, and they just bring down the hammer. And, and, and But the latest thing that they've said, we're finally getting the evidence that's been talked about for for the last couple of years that there are bad batches of the vaccine and and one out of 20 is like super toxic so you got every time you take another shot you roll it's like russian roulette if you keep shooting you're going to eventually pulling the trigger you're eventually going to get a bad batch and you'll get myocarditis or you'll die you know and, and so i tell people if you've been lucky enough to get through a couple of shots just don't take any more you know it's like you may have dodged the bullet but uh but we still don't know the long-term effects on the immune system because it clearly suppresses the whole T-cell system, which allows you, it makes you more susceptible in infections, including COVID and the flu and everything else. But it also, unfortunately, makes you more susceptible to sepsis, like lethal sepsis. And now there's information coming out on the so-called turbo cancers, which are uh, people who either had no cancer, like women who had normal mammograms for years, they had the shot, two months later, boom, they got a big aggressive breast cancer out of nowhere. Or you got people like one of my close friends uh, who died uh, last year, had you know, stable cancer for years, was doing well, took the oncologist said, you better get the shot. Two months later, his cancer came back much more, it was prostate cancer, came back much more aggressive than ever expected. He said, I've never seen a prostate cancer like this. And he was dead in, in six months. And, and that's a turbo cancer. And that. And we're hearing more and more stories like that. Yet there's obviously no science on that because they're not going to study that. So that's a scary thing. We, we don't know how long this. Initially, Pierre Corey and Paul Merrick said, "Looks like if you if you dodge the bullet for a month or two, you're okay." But some of these things take longer to play out as your immune system never really recovers, and then you get long COVID and, and all. And you know, it's more like long. They call it. He said long vax is more common than long COVID. So. 
Yeah, that, that's why I'm hopeful that Sean sniffles or something with a with blocked grief <laughs> expression and, and not the fact that he's getting sick all the time for depressed immune system. I had the sinus infection prior to getting the shot. And, and by the way, just my other than the ginger tea and the perverse wind invasion, any um, any sign of a viral infection I've gotten in the last two years, I immediately start taking uh, the uh, ivermectin like candy. Uh, it is the safest drug on the planet. Uh, unfortunately, you can only get it at compounding pharmacies in this country, uh, select ones, and, and they charge an arm and a leg for it. Most people get their ivermectin from, from uh, South America or from uh, India. And it's, it should be only a buck a, buck a dose. Uh, and, so, so, and, and the secret of ivermectin is if, you're, if it's not working, you're, it's like brute force. You're not using enough. And you can keep taking it. Uh, until you get little white spots around the, your, the periphery of your vision, which tells you you've taken enough ivermectin, you can stop. And, and as soon as you stop, it goes away. And I haven't had a viral illness last more than two days in the last three years. It's like fascinating. It's more, it's more. And you got to take zinc with it too. Zinc. Okay. So si since I learned that we are creators of our own reality, I've just decided that the the raw milk kefir that I make at home. That mm -hmm. is my antidote. I, that protects me yeah. from all virus and all conditions. Yeah. And I do not get sick and I will not. I've Excellent. manifested, I believe it to be true. And uh, therefore, I will not get sick. <laughs> Wait, let's go back to um, cancer and women uh, and breast cancer. Oh, breast cancer, yeah. And yeah, the yeah, idea um, of dreams, because you, you have the dream connection to there as well. Yeah. Can you tell us a little, yeah. a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, I start, I've been keeping my dream diary for 35 years. I have a lot of precognitive dreams. Um, which always blows my mind when it happens, but uh, encountered um, a couple women, uh, first one in 1999, uh, who, who was one of my uh, assistants in teaching me great medicine. She had a wild story about having dreams about a spider crawling out of her mouth, uh, thought she had a, a, a problem with her tongue, went to the doctor, um, got... <laughs> uh, looked over her tongue said, I don't see anything wrong here. And then she goes back and, and, and we call this a clarifying dream. The next night she had uh, a MASH dream, a hot lips hula hand uh, shows up and, and with one of the doctors from MASH and says, you need to go back and have them biopsy that. So they did, they biopsied it um, and she had a cancer of the tongue and which is a really serious disease. She went on for the next uh, 10 years way outliving her prognosis because she was guided by all, all these amazing healing dreams, um, which, and then, um, about two, five years after that, one of my best friends, who's a meditation teacher, uh, shared her dream with me, which was she's waking, waking in the middle of the night. She's on an OR table. It's a vivid, more real than real kind of dream. There's a woman surgeon operating on her left breast. And it's like, what do you do with that dream? You know, it's, it's, it's so real. And so she goes to get a mammogram later that week walks in uh, for the mammogram, doctor comes out, radiologist comes out uh, a few minutes later, says, you're clean, you can come back in six months. It's a woman radiologist. She, and, and my friend goes, no, no, I think I have breast cancer. And, and she goes, well, well, there's nothing here on, on, on x-ray. She said, but you need to do an ultrasound on my breast. And, and, and the radiologist goes, we don't do ultrasound just on a fishing expedition. We have to know what we're looking for. And I, she goes, well, just do it right here because I'm not leaving until you do it. So she puts it on. The radiologist turns white and says, "Oh, there's a one centimeter mass deep in your breast, which you have dense breasts, and we couldn't we couldn't see it on the on the mammogram." And she, how did you how did you, she didn't talk about the dream until that point? She, how did you know? Oh, I had a dream about it a couple of days ago. And, and then the punchline though is that 
A week later, she goes to see the surgeon, and it is the woman surgeon in the dream. Wow. Uh, and so the precognitive aspect of it. And then she goes on, you know, did, did very well and was guided with dreams as to what, how to change her diet, uh, you know, it's amazing stuff. And then, and then after that, I, I had one other woman who, a, a doctor who had a similar experience. By that time, after I'd heard that, and then I had a friend who had a dream, doctor ignored it and she died. Uh, and th those three kind of triggered me to do a survey of women around the world who had um, breast cancer dreams. And I wound up on the 18 women around the world who'd had that experience. And, um, and for many cases, it was a guide would show up and it would be either a deceased relative of theirs, like a father or, or a, a white coated healthcare professional who they would often meet uh, subsequently during their treatment. But, but the key thing is uh, none of those women, uh, or maybe one of them has died since the study. And that, and that was, uh, you know, uh, 10 years ago. So once you have the ability to diagnose yourself, you seem to be able to have healing dreams that, that, that uh, help you to heal, which I think is, is really, really, really far out there. The best one ever though, is a 29 year old woman, not with breast cancer. I was starting collecting other types of cancers. The woman, 29 years old, single mother, uh, young daughter, she's got stage four uterine cancer. It's like really bad prognosis. The doctor says, well, you know, for, even with chemo, you have a 5% chance of living. So she has a dream that night about an alien spaceship landing on her backyard. The alien gets out, brings a green syringe to her and says, you need some interferon. And this was 20 some years ago when interferon was still an experimental drug. So she goes to the oncologist and she says, can you get me some interferon? He goes, what? Well, how do you even know about that? It's in like phase one trials or something. And, uh, and she goes, well, I had a dream about it last night. He said, okay, I'll get you some. So he got her some, she, that was 20 years ago and she was cured, you know? So uh, I, I love the space alien uh, messengers, so. What do you think a dream is? Um, oh, okay, so uh, this gets into uh, how I discuss with clients, uh, the connection between dreams and symptoms. It's like, okay, uh, a dream is the early warning sign is coming from your subconscious somewhere and in my the ted talk i gave on this i said three options one is you're in denial you already know you have breast cancer and the dream just makes you face it you know um uh, two is you don't know you have breast cancer and there's some subtle signaling system that goes through your uh you know neuropeptides nervous system and, and and delivers the message to your subconscious which creates the dream or it's not a physical mechanism at all it's an intuitive process and you're tapping into your higher self or Akashic records or, or whatever, you know, and, and, uh, and those are the, the options. So, so I tell people, and Edgar Casey said, nothing important happens to you that doesn't are, isn't already foreshadowed in your dreams. So the dreams are the early warning signs. And if you, if you're paying attention, you'll get those signs and you'll, you'll take action on them. Uh, if you're not paying attention, guess what? You get a symptom and, and you treat the symptom the same way as you do a dream symbol. It's like, okay, uh, what's that dream symbol mean? Uh, and, or what's that symptom? What's the message coming from you? And it's like, how loud does that message have to get before you finally uh, get it? And uh, and uh, and the other thing that's fun with dreams is asking for clarification. And one of my MRI, uh, my favorite MRI tech from Duke was a, was an avid dreamer, and and she had this dream <laughs> when I was getting give, give my TED talk on the breast cancer. She said, "Oh, you got to share my dream." It's like, "Oh, uh, well, okay. Well, what happened?" She said, "Well." Uh, I had a dream about giving birth 
and she's 58 postmenopausal. She said, I knew that was impossible. So I assumed it was about giving birth to my next creative arts project. She's a rug hooker. And, and, uh, and she goes, but I wanted to know for sure. So I asked for a clarifying dream. And the next night, she got taken to a, a graveyard in Ireland, shown a headstone with her name on it, daisies all around. And the, and the dream voice goes, if you don't do something about that dream last night, you'll be pushing up these daisies soon. It's like, ooh. So she goes to the gynecologist. She's a little bit overweight, so she doesn't really have any, any symptoms or any mass, but she does um, examine and does an ultrasound. And sure enough, she has an endometrial carcinoma. Uh, and the, the treatment for that is either an abdominal hysterectomy or a vaginal hysterectomy where you actually pull the uterus out through the vagina, which is what she had. So she gave birth to that tumor uh, a week later. Fascinating. So, yeah. So by the time that this is published, um, this is posted. I would have already published this on Substack um, at the time of recording. It's coming out tomorrow. Okay. So I post a weekly Substack. I just write. And I knew I wanted to write something on the sick care system. Uh, you know, mm. I call it the health care system. I call it the sick care system. But I didn't know what I wanted to write. And this is a very busy week. My son's a wrestler. He's got three matches. Nice. We have two podcasts we're recording including this one plus i have all my wow. clients that i'm seeing yeah and i said to my wife I'm like i'm screwed i'm not gonna be able to this is the first time i'm not gonna be able to get out a Substack on a weekly basis free and so the very next morning which was yesterday out of a deep sleep i wake up uh, at 5 a.m with the entire article written in my head nice. i like when that happens with this curt with this statement that i needed to write in there and I walk downstairs and I just pull out the computer, brew some coffee, and in about a three-hour span, I write this entire article with what came to me in, this, in the dream. And it was, it was the words, this is intentional. So it was everything about how our sick care system has developed, including like mm -hmm. the, how research is funded by industry and the lobbyists and how they influence our policy by owning our politicians and this whole entire process. The day before I put an outline in a, uh, in a tweet, but the entire thing came up and, and the message that came to my dream is I had to let everyone know this is intentional. So I would write something and then I write, this is intentional. And I write something and I have all these paragraphs that I list how the sick care developed, sick care system has developed and it's been maintained and how it serves the financial interest of the, of the industry at our, at our harm. And then I just had, you know, this is intentional and then I ended it talking about how we can kind of reclaim our health back and how we have to resist these illegitimate authorities. And then I just wrote, this has to be intentional. And the entire thing came to me in a dream. I got it done yesterday and was still able to go get a workout in. And feel like, so sometimes things feel like they are divine messages. Yeah, no, no, no question. And, and it reminds me of Michael Moore's movie, Sicko, uh, where he has all the, the different congressmen with little little balloons which show their, their sponsorship uh, and who's paying them. And, and then my favorite meme is where they have, uh, uh, congressmen should be like uh, NASCAR drivers. They should wear their sponsors uh, yes. you know, logos on, on their outfits. Because, I mean, that's been the whole message of, of COVID was follow the money and the conflict of interest. As soon as you start looking at the conflict, of interest, it just blows your mind. It's like, whoa. It's, uh, and, and, and then you mentioned when it started, it started with the Rockefellers and the Flexner Report back in, in the early 1900s, and it's gone on from there. So I, I do want to kind of end on this, because like, this is such an important piece of your life and your career. 
because um, I, I would say what almost 99 to 100% of our listening audience doesn't know what MK Ultra is. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> and we have a, a it's the it's the blind obedience to authority that is really of concerning to me and just blind trust in your own government. I actually believe we all have a responsibility to challenge our, our own government. And I think our founding fathers were very clear about that uh, and to resist illegitimate authority. But can you tell the story of MKUltra and the and the patient that you worked with? Yeah, yeah. So, so the... Um, um, it all, interestingly, we already talked about World War II. It all goes back to World War II because the, the Nazi and, and Japanese scientists were imported into this country through Operation Paperclip. And out of and that was all done through the CIA. And DARPA w w came out of Operation Paperclip, uh, which is, you know, the dark force that's behind this in, in, in the government. And, and so, and, and they, then the CIA, they all, and they were worried that other countries were getting ahead of them in mind control and that we need to have an aggressive program for that. And the Manchurian Candidate and all those movies. Uh, but, uh, and then and there were many branches to that whole uh, program uh, and including mind control, but also uh, psychedelic experiments on, on, on uh, without informed consent, et cetera. And, and, and so, and I had only, you know, some periphery knowledge of this. Uh, and then one day the medical intuitive who, who helped me with my shoulder referred me a client. And, it's, and I said, okay, that, that's usually a good referral from her. So this woman walks in, sits in my office. And this is what I was doing in-person sessions. Uh, and she says, before we start, you need to know that I'm an MK Ultra survivor. I'm like, I said, I thought that was a myth. She goes, no, no, just Google it. You know, you'll see that the, the, the center of, uh, Frank Church hearings from 1977, and there were 10 pages on on, on, on MKUltra. I was like, whoa, this is like real. And, and then, and she gave me other proof uh, that uh, she'd been deprogrammed in the 90s, and the person who deprogrammed her had been murdered. And I'm thinking like, hmm, do I really want to work with this lady? You know, and, 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 but we did some EFT. She was having some neuromuscular uh, problems sort of like ALS and, 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 and but, but not exactly ALS. So we, we worked with some of those in tapping. Interestingly enough, she had flashbacks to growing up in a military family. They had turned her over to the program yeah. and, and it involved electroshocks at a young age. And, and when we did some of the tapping and the hypnosis, she flashed back to some of the smell. She could see the wall paint in her childhood, uh, wallpaper in her childhood room. And she released a lot of things, but but she came back a, a week later for a follow-up and she goes, I almost didn't come back because I saw you were affiliated with Duke. And Duke was one of the 80 academic medical centers who were funded by the Department of Defense to do MKUltra. All the psychiatry departments around the country got funding from the DOD for MKUltra. I'm like, well, this is really big. And she said, and she asked me a series of questions that were they're probing questions and she could tell whether I was a programmer or not. And she said, if I'd have answered them incorrectly, she wouldn't have come back. So she went on to heal really well and, and is now moving on with her life. So that was pretty cool. And then I have encountered one other uh, client who had a similar story. Um, but, but then when I realized that I asked this woman what her path was in MKUltra, and she said, well, there's, a, there's two paths. You either become a, a sex slave and blackmail politicians, which was her role. And so when, when politicians behave strangely like, the, like they're not following their campaign promises, it's because someone's got dirt on them and, it could have been the Epstein Island or, or whatever. Uh, and then if you, um, the other track is to become an assassin like Jason Bourne. So, and it's like, 
I said, boy, you're lucky you got out of that, that path. And, but but and then when you look at all this, the school shootings around the country that happen, a lot of them are on psychiatric medication. And, and I suspect a lot of them are MKUltra, you know, and, and it's done for a purpose, intentional, like you said, you know, it's like, they want gun control. They want all of our guns taken away, and, and they want all the resistance neutered. And um, and this is how they're going to do it. So, with that being said, um, you know, I'm very outspoken about the modern psychiatric industrial complex, from the DSM to all the mind and mood altering yeah. drugs that they're pushing on the entire population. Yeah. Are you saying there's a possibility that this is CIA or or, or, or has a government yeah. interest in this? Well, reading uh, the uh, Wuhan cover-up book, Kennedy. If Kennedy's already at risk to be assassinated because he's calling out the CIA for, for killing his father and, and his uncle. But if, if this book doesn't get him assassinated, nothing's going to get him assassinated because he's calling out the CIA as being behind the entire bioweapons program. And and all, you know, it's it's really crazy. So we're going to see that play out in, in, in this campaign uh, this year. And, uh, and, and but, but just, just to spin this around in a, in a more positive direction, uh, you know, I, I'm just... I've gone down so many dark rabbit holes that it's just, you know, unbelievable. But but so to come away with keeping a positive attitude, I've been I've been doing the Joe Dispenza work for the last two years, which great. I've been to one of his advanced workshops, and he does talk a lot about not being controlled by the memories of the past, but by your vision of the future. And I think if we all did that, we would easily overcome what we're facing. Um, but you know, uh, it has to be a critical mass of people who are doing that. Yeah, uh, that's exactly what I'm reading. That's what I'm experiencing when I'm in meditation. Uh, there is a collective consciousness, and uh, I have to be very careful of of going down that path that just ends up experiencing like the the trauma of illegitimate authority and the the dark aspects of humanity. Yeah, I, I, and there are there are a lot of omens for, for the next couple of months uh, that, that you know the WEF puts out predictive programming ahead of time. So bio, uh, so uh, cyber uh, you know, attack is is been predicted. So probably some version of that will happen. There's also uh, economic you know crash in in, in the forecast. If you haven't read The Great Taking yet, that, that's an, a free online ebook which talks about what's been going on for the last 20 years with the the, the, the laws regulating the financial system uh, to, to protect these secured investors who are all the big banks that are too big to fail and everyone else is considered unsecured. So the secured investors get their money first and everyone else gets what's left. And then the third thing is the fake, the false flag alien invasion, which has been predicted as well. So, and those are all ways of, of creating fear in the populace and getting them to give up their authority to, to the, the the new world order. So that, that's that's I um, stay tuned. I often don't go on to, to Twitter, but I did jump on just the other day, and there was that um, the ten foot alien thing that was happening down in like Miami at a mall, and I was like, yeah. well, "What the hell is this crap?" Uh, it's well, that's probably about likely to be Project Bluebeam, which has been the prediction is there'll be holographic projections that'll be very, very real. And there already are examples of that with these whales jumping out of buildings and things like that. It looks very real. So stay yeah. tuned. For the U.S. Crash. government's already put it out there, right? That we, yeah. you know, they have this, the intelligence. Here's the, the hard thing is, though, in order to focus on the positive and move forward, there needs to be an awareness of all the negativity. And it's very easy to get sucked into that negativity and get consumed by it and never look towards well, you, the positive. You, but your, your problem is you're putting this into two dichotomous categories of, mm -hmm. as if things are you know positive or negative. So an, another way to look at this and 
old structures have to burn down into in order for them to be rebuilt. So except that there's going to be a period of mass chaos and there is going to be, uh, we, are go we are going to face these challenges and these problems, but if we look at it in terms of positive or negative, we don't understand the bigger picture on what needs to be rebuilt in humanity. So these old structures are going to die. These ones that, that are harmful to each other, that are, are, are harmful to our health, our well-being, that are toxic, that create disease, war, a number of the things that we've collectively, as a consciousness, have been manifesting into our reality. We have to change them. We know the systems that exist that are, are harmful to people have to break down. Yeah, but in order for increased awareness of those negative things, it needs to come, the message needs to be received in a way that it is, um, that people are open to hearing it. Like loving. Loving. Not from a perspective of anger Either. and frustration yeah. and you need to fear this. And then, and then redirecting and focusing that energy towards the positive things away from those negative things. Like Agreed. saying, hey, these are the things that you need to be mindful of. When those fearful things start coming your direction, it's highly likely that this is what it is and what it's trying to do. Well, well, so, Turn so, away from so, it. Since you guys are, are big fans of, of out-of-the-box podcasts and books, I'll leave you with, with uh, one recommendation here. Have you been to Bledsoe Said So yet? Oh, I just I just listened to an episode of of you on that uh, that podcast, yeah. Yeah. and you you talked about some incredibly fascinating things based on your experience um, at the parapsychology um, yeah. in, in that area. And I that could be a topic of a whole other conversation. It, it would, just it would be a whole other episode. I, I, um, there was some. I'll just leave, leave you with the the UFO of God is the book I'm going to recommend. It's my, my my close friend Chris Bledsoe. UFO of God. It's a bestseller ever since March. He's the most famous UFO experiencer in the country right now. And and he's also, the, the introduction to his books are written by insiders from the CIA and the NSA. So he's he's got inside, he's got high level security clearance, but he's the real deal. And he also, uh, one of the reasons the, the three other agencies like to keep in touch with Christopher is he gets direct communications from the lady who is the ET version of the Blessed Virgin Mary, who appears to him as an apparition and comes every Easter and tells him what's gonna happen. And in Easter 2019, she said, we are, ent we are entering the biblical period of tribulation, which is in the Re book of Revelation is seven years. And it goes from Easter 2019 to Easter two, uh, 2026. And she said, we've already passed through the tribulation, which is the first three and a half years, we're in the second half is the greater tribulation. Okay. Uh, and, and it's interesting, uh, you know, that Christopher also refers to the ETs not as uh, extraterrestrials, he calls them angels. Uh, and, and he's had amazing healing experiences, and they've now given him the, the healing abilities as well. And it's the, the stories in the book are just beyond belief. And, and, and so he, and he, there, there's movies coming out about his life. He, he was on the, uh, History Channel this summer on the Beyond Skinwalker Ranch series as the highlight of, of the whole summer. And, and Christopher's message is, is very hopeful. So I, I, I'd leave that out there for people. And and yet he does warn us to be aware of these fake alien invasions because that's definitely in the cards. So Yeah, yeah. I, I do think a lot is just on the horizon. I've certainly felt it. Um, messages. I, 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 when, I, when I was told that, you know, they're knocking on the door trying to talk to us. Open the door, listen, and you start training your mind to do it. 
you listen and you hear the messages, right? So even today's podcast to me is a message, more to learn, more to read, things we're saying, continue to grow, continue to evolve. I've kept you a long time. I do want to kind of end this on a, on a positive message because we are talking about um, expanding consciousness, improving health and well-being. We were talking about humanity from multiple perspectives. If you can leave our listening audience here with some, you know, some main takeaways in, in your experience in integrative health and your background, if, if there's ways uh, outside the mainstream about what we know, what we're told, ways that we can enhance the quality of our life, our health, our well-being, expand our consciousness, what are your recommendations that people can start taking right now? It's pretty simple. Just keep a dream diary, you know, ask questions every night before you go to bed and expect an answer and uh, uh, keep asking until you, until you get information that's going to guide you and, and always, always write them down right away. Don't wait till the morning. And, and if you need to write them down in the middle of the night, get a red light of some sort uh, because you don't want to use a white light, which disrupts your pineal function. So red light's okay. Uh, and that'll let you write uh, in, your, in your journal. And then the second thing is treat all your, your symptoms as sacred messengers from beyond. And it's like, if you can do that, treat them the same way you treat your dream symbols and, uh, and your, your symptoms will guide you uh, to clean up whatever is going on in your life that is out of balance. And if you, if you pay attention um, and, uh, you know, there's ways of working with, the, with, with your own personal stuff and some of it uh, ties into the chakra systems. I, I teach workshop, workshops on the lower four chakras, which is where your, your childhood traumas are stored. That's the, the ACE study from the CDC. So you work through the different uh, emotions in the chakras from fear to anger to shame to grief. Um, and I'm, I'm teaching a workshop on that. The information is on my LarryBurke.com website. And, uh, and that's one of my fun things to do because it doesn't require any sophisticated metaphysical uh, abilities to be able to work with your own chakras if you just tune into the, the emotions that are there and and you can work through fear in the lower chakra is autoimmune disease and neurologic disease second chakra is chronic pain syndromes and bladder problems third chakra is eating disorders uh, and uh, and type 2 diabetes and the fourth chakra is heart and lung problems and sinus conditions and if you work with those that gives you a place to start on your little quest for, for self-healing. So. Excellent. Uh, where can people find you? You mentioned your website. Yeah. Either LarryBurt.com or LetMagicHappen.com. It's the same website. And, uh, and yeah, I, I like to do the, the chakra workshop uh, a couple times a year and, and I'll be doing uh, one up in the, the mountains of the Blue Ridge mountains, April 19th to the 21st at the art of living retreat center. So great. Dr. Larry Burke, we want to thank you for a radically genuine conversation. I thank you because this is a refreshing opportunity to do this. And, and you guys are a hell of a team. So your dad would be proud. I'm just saying that. So. Thank you. Thanks. Listening to a podcast may be therapeutic, but it is not therapy. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional. If you are in a crisis or you think you have an emergency, call your doctor or 911. If you're considering suicide, call 1-800-273-TALK to speak with a skilled, trained counselor. If you found this podcast interesting, please share it with a friend, subscribe through your podcast app, and engage with us through our social channels. 
And if you are concerned about a friend or family member, reach out. The six magic words, I was just thinking about you, may make their day. Thank you for listening.